0: Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor and today we are continuing our series Relationship Vampires in part three where we're talking about needy people because in every group, in every organization, in every family, there's always someone that needs a little bit more than everybody else and we're going to talk about how to love them in the midst of that. Stick around. Um, but we all have someone like that, or have had someone like that in our office or wherever our work environment is. That no matter how many times you send them that file, no matter how many times you show them how to use that program, how to use that system, they still need your help, right? So much, so much so that you have, at the very least, thought if not described to your other co-workers in frustration, how needy that person is. Because doesn't it seem like no matter what kind of group of people that we're a part of, maybe it's a team that we're on or a club that we're part of, fraternity, sorority, a class that we're in, especially class projects, okay, that there is a needy person. And needy people tend to, not always, but tend to um, be the type of people in our lives that we have to spend more time talking to than anybody else and explaining it to them over and over again. Um, That you hear from them the same story over and over and over again. Or you hear the same excuse from that type of person over and over and over again. And then they also tend to be a bit negative, sometimes with their speech, as in, I can't get it, I can't do it, I'm not smart enough, I'm going to lose my job. And you sit there, and as many times as you tell them it's going to be okay, or here's what they need to do, it just doesn't seem to quite connect. And then they tend to take their insecurities and their hurts and their frustrations and put them on you, so much so that you avoid them. Right? You duck behind your cubicle when you see them walking by because you don't want to be hit up with their needs. Or those types of people in your life who need money. More and more of it. And of course, parents, I'm talking about your children. Right? It starts at like age zero when you get that hospital bill. And you're like, holy cow, you guys cost a lot. And that is just the beginning, isn't it? Because when they're 21 and they still need money, it's like, what in the world happened? Okay, now I am not talking today about children, okay, because by default, like the definition of a child as you're raising them is exceptionally needy. However, parents, however, you may, especially if your kids are growing, you may have something that you can learn from today and apply to your parenting, your parenting style. In fact, it may be critical for you today. To begin um, or our, continue our series on relationship vampires and specifically to talk about needy people, we are going to have to do something that's a little bit challenging for some of us, and that is not to define what a needy person is. However, I think it is to refocus on how we look at needy people because without the right focus, if we don't get this part or if you don't agree with me on this part, The rest of it is going to be really, really difficult to kind of put in place, especially if we hope to um, love needy people. Now, this could be a challenge for some of you, and I want to acknowledge this because I understand how emotional needy people can be for you. Okay, I don't know if they are necessarily, but it could be an emotional roller coaster for you. And if you are right now going through a season of your life um, where you have someone who is draining you, wearing on you, needing more than you're willing to give, it could be really emotional to talk about this topic. In fact, you could be at the point of such frustration with them that it is going to be really easy to discount what I'm going to say. But my ask of you is to not let that get in the way of at least hearing it. I'm not saying you've got to apply it. You never have to apply it. anything I say. However, I hope that you would at least consider applying what we're going to talk about today, because I think it's really important. Now, to begin, I want to start with a definition of needy people, and then from there we're going to work through our refocusing on needy people. So here's my definition. This is just what I came up with. Needy people are those that need more than what you can or want to give. Needy people are those who need more than what you want to, what you feel comfortable, what you think is right, that you want to give, or simply, what you can actually give them. Now, I'm not asking you to like, agree completely with that definition quite yet because it's pretty straightforward, um, or it, I think it's fairly straightforward. But these are the kinds of people who are always asking for something. And it may not be like explicit like that. It could be kind of subtle. It could be in, insinuated. It could be like you know you're the only hope, and so you feel like you need to step into that situation kind of a needy thing? Like nobody asked you, but you just knew if you didn't, it wouldn't get done. And so you felt the pressure was pretty much as if somebody was asking you. But I want you to think about those times where you felt needed more than you wanted to or could give. And what was so funny about as I was not kidding, as I was writing this part of my my message, okay, so this tells you where I was at about 11 o'clock last night in my message, my dogs really wanted to go outside, which means they stand at the door, they jump on the door, they scrape at the door, and they whine, and they whine, and they whine, which is really frustrating when you have a nine-month-old who's trying to sleep, okay, and I don't know about your dogs or your pets that you've ever had, but here's how mine work, you let them outside, okay, you give in to their needs, okay, and then what happens 30 seconds later? Back at the door. Come on, I want to come in. Come in. So you let them in. And then guess what? 15 minutes later, what do they want? Back outside again. Okay? And then 30 seconds later, oh, it's cold. I want back inside again. And you sit there, and I, I, I'm not kidding you. I literally asked them because this was fresh on my mind. I'm like, what do you need? <laughs> and they have yet to respond. <laughs> but... It, it, <laughs> It is frustrating, because what do they want? They want something more than what I'm willing to give. I'm trying to communicate to them that I got a sermon to preach tomorrow, but they didn't seem to get it. OK? Now, here's the part that we have to refocus on, and I want you to ask yourself when it comes to needy f- people. Who sets oops, too far. Back up. There you go. Who sets the bar that qualifies someone as needy or not? Who sets the bar? You. Right here. You. You set the bar to determine who is a needy person and who is not. I mean, think about that for a second. If you're married or you're dating or you have a relationship going on, okay, have you ever been in a situation with your spouse where you have looked at one of your friends or they have looked at one of your friends and they have turned to you and said, gosh, they just need so much. They're always asking for something and it's a little frustrating. It's a little wearing on me. And your response is, well, if you only understood and then you kind of write it off and and you kind of have to just agree to disagree because you don't see them as needy. They see them as needy, but you do not. So are they needy or not? What's the right answer? And sometimes that escalates into a fight. Oh, your mother in law, my mother in law, you know, they're just so needy. They always want, 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 want. And you're like, no, no, no. And then you get into an argument about are they needy or not. But who sets that bar? You set that bar. That's why two people can disagree on whether or not someone is needy. That's why for some of you, you've worked in an environment where you've had a coworker that you felt is so demanding. They don't seem to, like, get their job. And you find yourself having to do their job for them, maybe, right? Because you felt like, oh, I just got to step in. I just got to get it done. But your boss, I mean, it is incredible to you. It perplexes you. Your boss doesn't see it at all. In fact, they talk up that other employee. Yeah, somebody's laughing because they know, right? And you sit there, and you're like, how can this be that they don't think they're needy? But, ah, no, they're needy. It's because it's up to you. You set the bar for what you can or cannot give, what you're willing to or willing, not willing to give. It's up to you. Let me give you another. This is not entirely perfect, but it's pretty close, That I think it will give you an idea of what I'm getting at here. Okay? Think about this for a second. How come it is that you and I, I'm going to include myself in this, you and I, at some point in our lives, have looked at a homeless person on the side of the road who has a cardboard sign out and all they're asking for is a $3 burger, a warm $3 burger from McDonald's and you've looked at them and you've said, That's, they're just kind of needy or they're always at that corner. And, and some of you have even gone so far to think, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they work at McDonald's and then maybe they could eat? You thought that. But how come you would categorize them as needy? How come I would think that about them as needy? But then, when I see a Facebook post come through my newsfeed, and someone's going through a medical treatment, and they're asking for $20,000, the last thing in my mind I think is, well, they're just needy. I mean, how come that is? What, What really is the difference there? Because I think you can make an argument that both people, one in need of of, of food and one in need of a medical treatment, are maybe suffering. That both people perhaps could lose their lives without it, possibly. Or at the very least, their quality of life could be sacrificed because of their unmet needs. Yet, I don't know if I've ever looked at someone who's in need of a medical treatment, even though they are asking for $19,000, $19,997 more than the $3 hamburger, I've never thought, wow, they're just so needy. But the homeless person, mm, different story. Why? Because I set that bar. I've decided that that medical treatment is more worthy of my investment, maybe even $20, $50, $100 worthy of my investment over that other person. It's up to me. That's what defines it. And that distinction is so important when it comes to the goal of this series, which is to love the challenging people, the people who suck the life out of you, the people who are needy and need more than you're willing to give. How do you love them in the midst of that? And for us to be successful, we have to recognize, refocus, and realize that the only reason someone is needy is because we have decided that they are needy. It's us. Us that has the problem. Us that get frustrated. It's not them. And us that needs to change if we hope to change how we respond. Now to do that, we have to recognize one very, very important thing. And I'm going to tell you it and then I'm going to explain it to you, okay? We all have to acknowledge that we are not needy peoples. We are not there. Whomever there is, we are not their Savior. Next slide. We're not their Savior. Now, another way of saying this could be like, you're not their answer, okay? You're not going to be the answer to their problems. Now, for those of you who um, are kind of hesitant about church or skeptical of pastors, or, and at least you grew up in church, probably what you're going to think is you're going to get a little smart on me, and you're going to get a little ahead of me, and you're going to say, oh, that's a good one, Taylor, because then at the end of the sermon, you're going to say, well, the reason we're not their Savior is because Jesus is And that's true. (laughs) But I don't want you to go there quite yet. Because this is where we get caught up. And maybe we haven't thought about it in these terms before, but sometimes we find ourselves in situations acting as though, thinking that we are the Savior, the answer to that particular problem. Let me explain this more. Some of us take on needs for our whole team, for our whole, all of our siblings, for our aging parents. Some of us even are so bold that we take on the needs, like we think we're going to take on the needs of our country. We're just going to solve them through our, our Facebook posts or, or through our, our, our protests or whatever they may be, and we think, oh, single-handedly we are going to redefine and save everything. For some of us, and, and then we don't, and then we're frustrated. Well, it's because we're trying to be something that we can't be, but that's a whole other message. Maybe next week. Or for some of us, it's just our family overall. Like, we feel like we are the savior of our family. If, if we didn't exist, our family would struggle. And so we feel like we have to take on the burden and we have to provide all of the answers. We have to save our families. And maybe we feel like it's a glorious moment. Or maybe we just feel like we felt pushed into it and we have to. But we act as though we're someone's savior. But we got to be painfully honest with ourselves if we hope to love people that are needy and acknowledging that we are not people's saviors. Now, we have done this in a lot of different situations. And one of the best uh, cases in which maybe you, you've seen this happen or, uh, or you have even fallen victim to it, um, and, and this is not a you know, feel-bad-for-me type of a thing, um, but I just want you to be aware, um, a great example of this is in dating relationships or, or marriage relationships. Haven't you seen that before? When someone thinks that they're going to be the savior for someone else, right? Oh, You've heard this before? I'm just gonna fix them. How's that work out? And why can't you fix them? Because you're not the answer, nor are you the problem. You are not going to single handedly save them. In fact, that is not what marriage is. In fact, if you do that, all that you've done is made someone a project. You've taken a person and made them a project. And that's not what Jesus, what God had in mind. For others of us, um, we, we've, we've seen people um, try to be someone's Savior, or, or we think we are the Savior. And so whomever we're in a relationship with, they just have to follow what we say because we know. I mean, how's that going to go? Some of you, if you have been divorced, some of you, your exes have come to you and they've said or told you that you are their savior and they messed up and if only you could get back together, everything would be right and you'd fix the family. I just want you to know that there's a really good chance that you are not the savior that they think you are. Even how wonderful and awesome that you are, you are not their savior. Their savior is therapy and Jesus. Okay? And maybe that's for you too, actually, okay? I don't know, all right? But I'm just saying, but if you fall into that trap, you can find yourself overwhelmed by the situation, overwhelmed by the said needy person. A good example, uh, as I was thinking about this, in my own context as a pastor, okay, is, um, uh, well, it's something that I learned like right when we started the church three years ago, or a little over three and a half years ago, Um. And and we had to learn it. I mean, we really honestly, we didn't have a choice when it came to learning that we are not the saviors. See, we didn't start the church. We didn't start Taylor and Stephanie's church. We started God's church through his grace and his provision. And we just play a role in his church. It's his church, not mine. Now, does that change how hard I work? No. I mean, I still grow. I still try to improve. I still try to be better. I still try to achieve his mission and his vision. But the difference is that I know that I am not any of your answers. I'm your pastor, but I'm not your answer. All I try to do is just every week get up here, and share with you to help you understand and get to know who is your answer. Who is your Savior? Big difference. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of pastors who've, tried, who've fallen into the trap of acting like they are going to be everyone's answer or savior. And unfortunately, I mean, just think about this. Could you imagine the burden, the stress that would be on my shoulders if I had to solve all my challenges and problems and all of yours? It'd be a lot. I'm not trying to insult you. We just all have a lot of stuff. Some of it's not even our own problem or of our own making, but it's not my job. It's not my goal, and it's not yours either, and here's the other thing. This is why we push community groups, and I talk about being in a community group if you can, if at all possible, and if you can't be in one, to start one, because community groups or the, these groups of people on the next slide, I think, I, I, yes, these groups of people, okay, that's what they're there for. They can make meals. They can be there when you need them more than I can. Because guess what? You're getting together every week and you're sharing what's going on and your challenges and your hurts and they know you and you know them, okay? And if we're lucky, I can get together with everyone in the church once in a year if I'm lucky. But a group, a church, the body of Christ, much more effective So join a group. Okay, now here's my point. If you act like the answer, if you act like the answer, if you act like the Savior, you become the relationship vampire's victim. And you will take on an unsustainable burden. And eventually, as you have probably experienced, you'll become bitter and resentful of the situation. And you will feel taken advantage of which is really unfortunate because you are the one to decide how much or how little you give. Who is a needy person and who is not? Now, this is not an excuse. I am not saying this, that you are not someone's Savior, to to excuse you, okay? This is not an excuse. This is not an excuse away from helping someone or listening to someone or caring for someone or showing empathy to someone. That's not what I'm saying, it's not an excuse and it is not a way to justify neglect of something or someone. This is just taking a step personally to say I'm not the answer. And that without me you may be okay. That it may turn out okay. Even though I want to jump in, I want to fix it, I want to solve it. I'm not going to make your project. I'm not your answer. I can't solve all your problems. I can, though, set the bar of what I'm willing to give and not willing to give. And I'm not going to blame you for my decisions. Now, I've shared this story uh, many times. In fact, I'm probably going to have to share it again next month because it's just so good. It's so applicable. Um, But... um, this is a story that we talk about uh, a lot, and it's called um, the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, okay? And uh, the Good Samaritan is um, a, a profound story, and essentially I'm just going to summarize it for you, but to suffice it to say, um, what happens as a story is um, you get the opportunity, or th- what happens in the story is the Good Samaritan has the opportunity, takes the opportunity to set the bar of giving correctly, And it gives them the freedom, the Samaritan, the freedom to love. Because if you don't set that bar correctly, you're going to end up bitter. But if you set it correctly, you have the freedom to love. In other words, we call that, you've probably heard of this word before, boundaries. This story is a perfect illustration of boundaries. And here's how it goes. Jesus was teaching. It's a made-up story. Jesus is teaching to his Jewish audience, okay? And he was talking about this Jewish guy walking along a dangerous road. Probably shouldn't have been walking along that road, but he was, okay? And he got mugged, essentially, okay? And left for dead on the side of the road. And then there's more people who walk by the guy who's dying on the side of the road, okay? Okay? And and the people whom you and I would think would stop, right? The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, okay? The pastors. I mean, it's all these perfect, pious, wonderful people, and they walk by him, But they don't stop. The person who stops is the Samaritan. The person who stops is a Samaritan. And Samaritans don't mix with Jewish people, yet this Samaritan decided to put cultural standards aside and love the man who needed help. And look at how he helped. I love this. Luke, Luke illustrates or shares the story of what Jesus was teaching. He said, he, the Samaritan, went to him, the Jewish guy who was injured, and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and then he put a man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him, which is so awesome. You're thinking, ah, oh, good on him. He did the right thing. He was helping out. But Taylor, doesn't he kind of seem like he's being that guy's savior? look at what he does next. The next day, he took out two denarii, a couple coins, gave them to the who? The innkeeper. Gave them to the innkeeper. And what do you tell the innkeeper? Hey, could you look after him? I have an important meeting to go to. I, I got to be at this family event. I, I have this thing going on at church. And um, I, know, I, know, I know you need me. You, you said that. But I, I just got to tell you, if I don't get that Sunday time, if I don't get that time with my family, If I don't set boundaries, I'm going to get resentful and bitter. And so I'm going to set a boundary. Could you take care of him? And when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses that you may have. Perfect example of boundaries. A perfect example of boundaries. Think about this. How would this guy have acted like the Savior? If the Samaritan wanted to come into this story and be like, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, I'm the Savior, what would he have done? Well, he probably would have came in, he would have helped the guy, and then he would have thought to himself, well, I should just stay here and take care of the guy until he's better. And then he may have even gone so far as to go down to the the main floor in 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 the inn and then told everybody, oh, you know, I saved this guy, and... I'm just going to have to save him and it's really going to inconvenience me because now I can't go to that event that I was on my way to and oh, woe is me and I'm a little upset about it but I'm doing the right thing and, and Jesus loves me and he loves him and that's great and that's what I'm going to do. Okay? But what did he do? See, he found someone who could do what he needed to have happen, what this man needed and it gave him the freedom to still help him to still give him the care that he needed, but also freed him up and set boundaries for also what he had going on. See, we do this at the church all the time. Because if you think about it, um, we're, we're a one-staff church, okay? And, and we also have no, no facility. And we get calls um, at least once a week from people or specifically, I get calls from people who, who need money or want me to, you know, pay for a hotel room or, or something like that. They have a need, okay? Now, we could try to find a facility and, and create a food bank, and we could try to create a big, big old fund and raise lots and lots of money and put it in there so we could give to every single need, and then I'd have to create a system, and I could track that all and figure it all out and manage that all. But is that the wise thing to do? No. Why? Because we have so many organizations in our community that do a fantastic job at that already. So isn't it the wise thing to do for us to just partner and support those other organizations who can track, who can specifically address people's specific needs? Seems a lot more effective of God's resources, don't you think? That's why I love partnering with the school is because they have um, family liaisons in every single school and, and they have psychologists and I even met with them this week. that the, They're new here at Tiffin Elementary School because we've got some things coming up that, that I wanted to touch base with them on. And, and, and guess what? They're able to meet families. They have relationships with each an individual family and we are able to help specific needs through them. We can help them, but we realize we're not their answer. We can get them through a season of life realizing we're not their answer. And that's what the Samaritan did, and it was incredible. What did he do? He realized it's up to him to decide where that bar is set, where that boundary is. He realizes he's not the Savior, he's not the answer, but he is gonna help, he is gonna contribute, but he sets the bar. So that leaves us with this question Where do we set our boundary? when you felt like you wanted to help someone, where do you put that bar? Where do you put that boundary? So it doesn't go too far and you don't cross it and become resentful. And the best way to, to, to answer this question is through two of the most, um, what, I would, what I would say, um, two, two guys who really got this, who got this really, really well. And they were Jesus's disciples. And this was what makes this so great is this was after Jesus died, rose again and went to heaven. Okay? So Jesus is no longer there. The disciples are on their own, so to speak. Okay? They're in charge of the church. And they have to decide, what are we going to help with? How are we going to help? How are we going to figure this out? And so they had, they had arguments about it and discussions about it. And, and there's a pretty extensive um, number of examples throughout the New Testament of them trying to struggle with how do we meet the needs of the people. And one day, um, Peter and John, Jesus is two probably most famous disciples if you grew up in church. Peter and John have an exchange with a guy, and that's what I'm going to read to you, and I think it gives a perfect explanation of how we can know where to set our boundaries when it comes to needy people so we're still free to love them but not overwhelmed by the needs and fall into the trap of being the answer for everyone or every need that's presented to us. So where do we set our boundary? Here's the story. One day, Peter and John, Jesus' disciples, okay, Um, We're going up to the temple the temple we talk about this all the time holy of holy places. This is in Jerusalem Okay, this is where they believe jewish people believe the presence of god resided. Okay In in the jewish temple Okay, it's big massive huge temple. All right, and and this was the time of prayer at three in the afternoon Okay, and I just love this because if you look at Luke, Luke is the guy who wrote Acts. Luke has extraordinary detail. Like, if you want to just know, if you were curious when this was happening, it was 2,000 years ago at 3 p.m. Okay, that's when it was happening. Okay, so Luke continues the story. Now, a man who was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, this is the definition of a needy person, even today, right? Lame from birth and in need of money. This is our stereotypical needy person. Whether he was or not, I don't know, but he was in need at least of money. So how are Peter and John going to help? How are they going to contribute? Peter looked at him. uh, Luke goes on. Um, When when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Okay, sorry. Got ahead of of myself. Asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, hey, look at us. Look look over here. Give, Give us your attention. And so the guy did. He gave him the attention, expecting to get something. Essentially, he was expecting to get money. He was expecting to get his needs met. And what a perfect place to do this, right? You're at the foot of the temple, that everybody, all the Jewish people are walking up to the holy of holy places, the presence of God, and in Jewish um, in Jewish culture as well as in Christian culture, it's something that's going to continuation between Jewish and Christian cultures, is generosity, that you're supposed to be generous, okay, and what better place to ask people for money as they're walking up to the holy of holy places, and you're looking, you're seeing people in need, and it's like, well, i guess I just have to give to them because if I don't, I mean, God's looking really like right there. I mean, he's going to see it. So, they, so this is the point. This is the point at which Peter and John should have dug in their pockets, tried to scrape up a coin or two, or maybe run back to the house to grab a coin or two because they don't want to be the ones who walk through the temple gates and don't give the guy anything or any of the other needy people that were around asking for money. Okay? But what does Peter do? Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. Could he have gotten it? Probably. What would he say? I don't have it. Boundary. Because Peter and John, Peter and John had such a firm grasp at this point in the story of who and who was not the answer what mattered, and what really didn't matter. Because there's just something about watching your leader as they did, watching the guy whom they'd followed for years, die on a Roman cross, buried into a tomb, and come back to life. At which point You just have to sit there and think to yourself, even if you're not a Christian, if you put yourself in their shoes and you look at that situation, you just got to think to yourself, huh, if he can do that, I think I'm going to follow that guy. Like he obviously knows something that I do not. He obviously has some things that I do not. And he claims to be the son of God. In fact, he claims to be the way to God. Yeah, I think I'm going to follow that guy. And they had a firm grasp of that idea. So much so that when a man seemingly, uh, you know, really understandably asking for money, they said, I don't have it. But he doesn't end there. He said, silver gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. Come on. What did they have? What did they have? It's what we all have, at least what we all have access to, and it's how you figure out where you put that bar, that boundary. Look at what he said next. But what I do have, I give you in the name of who? Jesus. See, I told you we're going to get there. <laughs> the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Now, for some of you who get really caught up with miracles, I understand your skepticism. I understand your reluctance to go to, oh my gosh, he made him a lame guy from birth, walk again. Okay? And if that's where you get hung up, I understand, but I hope that you will not let that interrupt what happened here. In fact, you don't even have to get to this word to figure out how to set that boundary, how to help people who are in need in your life. You just have to back up four words to right here. Because as Christians, as Jesus followers, this is what we believe that we have that makes it unique to go through life. Jesus. This man, who was a man who claimed to be the Son of God, who went around and did extraordinary things and taught extraordinary lessons, lessons that even most agnostics and atheists would admit were incredible points, especially for the day. In fact, they were like groundbreaking points. I mean, Jesus came in, he elevated women to a whole new standard. He showed mercy in incredible ways and grace and truth and love and forgiveness in incredible, incredible ways. Life-changing ways. Ways that you and I, we struggle with. We struggle with showing that same kind of compassion and love. That Jesus. It's almost as if, for a second, before he said the rest of it, he was bringing, because I think this is literally what was happening, is that Peter and John was bringing Jesus front and center. And he was looking at the needs of the man, and then he was looking back at Jesus. And saying, Jesus, what do you want to do? What would you do? They knew, they followed Jesus, they saw him heal people all all the time. He didn't say, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to fix it? No, he said, I'm just going to give you what I have. But what he had was a man who said, nothing is going to get between you and me. So much so that I'll just... Take care of it. I'll die for it. So that you don't have to live with the guilt, the shame, the issues that you have had, the decisions that you've made in the past, so you can be free. And I'm going to show you that love. That's what they had. And that's what they brought to bear before that man. And I think that's what we could reference when we're trying to figure out, hey, how do I help someone in need? You'd sit there and you'd say, well, What did Jesus do? How would, how would Jesus have approached this person? Do, do I give a little bit of grace? Do I give a little bit of truth? Do I do something in, kind of in between? What, what did Jesus do? Or that pesky question you ask yourself that I, that I always ask that's really important here at Infuse What, what does love require of me? Or as we've said before, because John told, tells us that love, not, not human kind of love, not the, the love that, that just makes our world go round when we're in love and it just feels so good. Not that kind of love. No, God kind of love. God love. John says, God is love. What does love require of me? What does God require of me? What does Jesus require of me in this situation? And if you don't know, hey, guess what? Peter would say, listen, I got this friend named Luke. Okay? And he was following me at this point, and guess what? He went back and he researched it all, and he researched Jesus and everything that had happened there, and he wrote it down. We call it the book of Luke. And Matthew and Mark and John, who is literally right here, John, later in life, sits down and writes about Jesus. So if you're not sure, you can go just read, hey, John, what did you see, and how did you see Jesus treat people? And John would say, listen, there's one point we were in a, in a room together and Jesus was saying all this funny stuff that he was going to leave and it was the end and all this dram- dramatic stuff. And, and then he washed our feet. And we were like, wow, that's really stinky and awkward. But he washed our feet because he said, we are just servants. And it's so convicting and it is so hard to love, like God loved the world. But that's my challenge because that way you don't ever retract yourself so far back. It's like, well, you know what, uh, my boundary's here, and so I'm just, you know, I'm just going to give just this much a year—five F- dollars a year. I maybe give away or I'll give somebody once in a while, but but that's about it. And you say because that way I stay comfortable. Now Jesus isn't saying be comfortable. He's saying set your boundaries, but set your boundaries based on the love that I have shown you what God has required and asked of you who follow him. That's where you set the boundary. And it's hard and it's painful, but I guarantee you, God will never ask you too far beyond what you're comfortable with. He'll ask you to go beyond your comfort zone. That's how you grow. That's how you did it as a teenager, a child, and hopefully as an adult. But when you get that, you will be amazed at how you meet needs at just the right time, in just the right way, where you're not enabling people, but you certainly encourage them. Where you're able to help people, but you don't end up hurt by people. And so that's my prayer. When it comes to the relationship vampires, the needy people in your life, you would step back and you would say, hey, listen, Internally not out loud I'm not your savior I'm not going to get in this relationship Because I'm not your savior I'm not going to look to you to be my savior But I am going to look to the person Who is And I'm going to set a boundary That maybe I'm not the most comfortable with Maybe it makes me a little uncomfortable Maybe it asks a little bit more of me Than I am willing at this point to give But I'm going to go Where love requires me to go because in the midst of that, you will truly love and meet people in their needs where they really need help, and you will give them what you have, and what you have, I promise you, will be enough for where they are. All right, let's pray. Um, If you would with me, bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, um, this is— this is, again, one of those things, is this pretty much this whole series has been, it is an easier thing to talk about, to think about, to maybe even be a little bit convicted by than it is to actually live out. So my prayer for each of us, in fact, I would just invite each of us to pray this prayer. Even if we're not a Christian person, we've all prayed even if we're not Christian before, We've prayed in, in the midst of a trial or, 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 you know, maybe in the off chance that God does exist, that each of us would just, with our eyes closed, heads bowed, that we would just say the simple prayer. Lord, help me to love how you loved. Help me to ask the difficult question of, hey, am I trying to be someone's answer? Am I trying to be someone's savior? And in some ways, I'm, I'm actually getting in between who they really need. I'm inserting myself more than I actually need to be. And in fact, I'm getting in the way of their ability to see who they really need. It's a difficult thing, Lord. So, So my prayer, our prayer this morning, is that, Lord, you would, Open those doors. Give us the opportunity. Maybe it's this week or next week. Lord, I just pray you would give us the opportunity to say, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the answer. And then you would say, Lord, show me where that boundary is. Show me what love requires of me. And then give me the courage. Give me the knowledge, the resources, whatever it takes to step into that and meet them at that place, so that I won't become bitter and resentful. I may be stretched. I may be a little uncomfortable, but I am where I'm supposed to be to show love. Lord, give us the strength, the wisdom, whatever it takes for us to not just talk that talk, not to just be kind of somewhat as a stereotypical Christian, but to be a person who follows you and keeps our eyes on you and loves people like you loved them and helping them, meeting them in their needs. Lord, I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.